Welcome to episode number 12 of the Make It Stack podcast. I am your host, Will Waterhouse. So today, we have an episode where I speak to Josh and Sandu, aka Be More Shrewd. You can find him on Instagram. I thought I'd have a chat with Josh about his channel and about his journey into investing. He's super passionate about encouraging financial literacy through education and taking people from a position where they aren't comfortable in investing to a position where they are. And he's also an advocate for investing in a responsible way. So without further ado, let's get on to the podcast. Thanks. Well, Josh, welcome to the podcast. It's, uh, it's awesome to have a fellow Instagram influencer on. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I work in investment consultancy. So um, yeah, most of the time I, I deal with uh, DB pension, pension schemes and kind of advising them. That's kind of like my my day to day uh, job, but um, yeah, on the side, I'm kind of quite passionate about personal finance. So I, that's kind of why I started the the Instagram account. Um, so yeah, how's that all going? Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, uh, so I started the account back in uh, March this year because uh, originally I was I was kind of doing um, like an investing newsletter. So I basically like reached out to everyone on my LinkedIn. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Um, it's going to be centered around personal finance and sort of demystifying the world of investing for the young people. And so I kind of got maybe like 50 people on that. Um, and I basically tried to uh, um, write sort of weekly blogs. Um, so kind of stuff to do with, you know, like m- mitigating fees with your investing um and other things like that um so i've kind of done like 20 to 25 thought pieces um i did i did a piece on on gamestop um and kind of the the memification of the stock market uh, which yeah. is quite quite interesting um but yeah uh i mean t- t- tell me a bit about yourself like what's your what's your story with with be more shrewd because um i did check out your app by the way it looks pretty slick Oh, cool. Uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, so probably similar. Our backgrounds probably aren't too dissimilar. So um, I work for a, a company that works with companies like yours. Um, I, work in, I work in kind of investment research, also product development as well. So I'm really building, spend a lot of my time now building and researching products for pension schemes, DB and DC generally. So um, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. So how do we get alternative investments into DC portfolios and same with DB, how do we get them access to like private credit and um, things like that. So um, probably similar kind of story to you. Um, my, the, in terms of Shrewd, um, that really came about over yeah, the last couple of years. So I'm actually from Birmingham originally. And so a lot of my friends are not like in the financial world really in Birmingham. There's a lot of like medical people and things like that. and they, they don't like my family are like all medics and stuff as well. And they, they don't really know much about this stuff. I mean, it's very much for them. It's like put your money in property, get it safe. And then that's it really. Like the other things you don't really trust anything else. They might trust like a low risk ISA, but they don't know what it is necessarily. So um, that's kind of like, I've, I've been in London for like the last, since uni, like 10, 10 11 years or whatever. And um for me it was like all right so i've learned some stuff here how there's obviously a market of people that don't quite understand how to invest you can give them the knowledge and inform them and they can go and start investing then it's going to be better for everyone and i really just thought there was something similar thinking to you um i thought that uh may as well try to help them uh shrewd as a way to do that so kind of through lockdown um I kind of decided to, I thought if I start creating an app for this stuff, so you've seen kind of like version 1.3 of the app or whatever what it is now. 1.3, I start creating very an app. good. No, thank you. So if I create that, hopefully I can get more exposure to people. I can then develop that app over time to turn into something that is a lot more than what it is now. Um, 
but with the the sole mission really of educating people um, about how to invest because a lot of young people they don't invest enough and also a lot of them don't have proper pension arrangements either so it's quite um it's quite a big risk they're taking on they don't understand that they're not putting their money into growth assets as an early stage um so that was the thinking really and yeah. um yeah That's, yeah great i mean so you mentioned that um you have just sort of released the version 1.3 of the shrewd app so um i'm assuming you've done a couple of iterations of that i mean it'd be really helpful if you could kind of provide an overview of, of what it was like to develop a product because like i've i've dabbled in trying to develop my own sort of risk management application uh and I, just to clarify i'm not from a computer science background um and it's been really challenging um, like how how have you how have you found um the development for a mobile app and how, how's that gone for you yeah fine um yeah this might it might be useful for people to hear this actually i don't haven't really discussed this with much with people but uh first i just did what you do right so you'd go on google and be like i want to create an app what do i do start looking for developers so there's various platforms you can go to and you can see they'll look for a developer for you and i was speaking to some as well so some were london based some were like based out in the us and things like that and i was just getting a quote for them really saying i would like to build like version one of my app and i want it to be able to do this this and this um and the thinking is if i have version one then that could open doors in terms of i can start to get it out to users also i can get it out to other people that might want to help me build a product or investors to invest in me and things like that so i was going around but the quotes i was getting for, to build this were crazy it's like they'd want like a hundred thousand to build something that i see, thought was quite simple um or they're like all right we can work on you to build this like mvp they call it to like the minimum viable product but they want to sit with you and they want to help you design it and they want to charge you to help you design it so they're like yeah we can all get in a room together we've got a team of like 10 of us we'll all sit down we can start from get a piece of paper draw out what it looked like but they wanted to charge like that would have been i'd be would have paid like ten thousand before you even have anything it just seemed crazy to me like i don't have that kind of money to go around so then i obviously covid came so i moved back to birmingham with the family because it's like i didn't know how long it was going to last i didn't think it would be as long as it would but i thought if it's a few months it's better to be at home home comfort everything so moved back and i was like oh, i should start calling companies in birmingham it might be cheaper so i called eventually found this company called um just applications and they so what they i think they do is they just hire someone i think it's a romanian developer that worked them i think but they just obviously you work, go through these guys and they hire someone abroad they charge you a bit more than they pay them so they make their money i guess and um and basically what i said to them is look i pretty much designed it so basically i spent like a few weeks on adobe xd which is like their program for developing like uh app, well, designing apps basically and I basically worked out a little bit how to use it and just pretty much designed what I wanted the app pages to look like. And um, I think so that saved me like a load of money because I think you pay people a lot to do that. And I just basically went on to WhatsApp, Instagram, all the apps that people use the most and thought I'll make an app that works like these to like put the buttons in a similar place, that kind of thing to me. And um, uh and then i just worked with them to build it so i had to be quite heavily involved so like they'd build a bit and then i'd review it and i'd see how it worked and then just kind of over the course so over the course of about a year it was probably more like nine months maybe um just put this app together at the same time um i was writing articles for the app as well i think similar to you about i think i'm at about 20 22 maybe um articles on there now put a little investment calculator calculator in there and stuff and uh it just slowly built itself really over time and then launched the instagram um just uh again another way to get people to see it and to kind of get people to engage a bit more and recently i've been working on the shrewdio actually which is a uh, which is why this um 
well this has come at quite a good time probably with you because i just bought a microphone here so i'm just gonna, i'm going to start recording audio and stuff putting it on the app as well nice um and so it's a good way to see if the microphone works i think it's working but um so yeah that's well that's where i am really it's slowly developed um it could become anything really eventually i think obviously have i work for an investment platform now so i have the bit i've done so far is probably not my natural skill set my natural skill sets more would be well to turn it one day into a proper investment platform where you could actually invest in products um there's probably a, a long way to go before that um but i do think there's with the other apps out there at the minute where you can go and invest there is a I don't like some of it in terms of just the risk people can take without really knowing. Mm. So there's, for example, there was, um, I've, there's the IG app, you know, the IG trading app. Yeah. So for a little while when Tesla was going mad, sort of, uh, end of last year, whatever. I was, riding, I was riding that by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they were like, they had Tesla options. They were basically like had them on their homepages, like a button. You log in and there's like Tesla options near the top. And it's all well and good when Tesla's flying, when flying, right? But if someone doesn't, even if someone does understand options, there's a lot of risk involved there. There's a story in, um, you know, Robin Hood as well yeah. in the US, the mm -hmm. story that, um, I don't know how old they were, younger, young, so younger than you and me as well. They committed suicide because they lost a load of money on options. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know you could lose more than you put in, basically. Mm. And um, I just think there's a there, these there's loads of apps now you can invest, and that's a positive. It's getting loads of people into investing. I think it's a good thing. But if Shrewd was to, or if and when Shrewd becomes somewhere where you can invest through, or we partner with someone you can invest through, the idea would be to only give access to products that, um, like not allowing you to take too much risk. So not allowing you to invest all your wealth into like a single company or anything like that. Some measure of ensuring that your investments are diversified to an extent that's reasonable. You don't want to over diversify and throw your money everywhere, but just to ensure you can't buy a GameStop or something at the top and be the one that's punished for everyone else to make some money. So that's the kind of my thinking. I've waffled a bit, but that's my thinking. No, no, that's that's been really helpful. I mean, yeah, I mean, from what I've seen over the last year is that there's just so many sort of platforms coming out that just provide people with access to tons of leverage. You know, like you could probably be levered like 50 to one. And so even, even if your position goes out of favor by like 2%, like you're probably going to be facing a margin call. And I think, I think the, how easy it is to sign up is, is, is ridiculous. So you, you get all these, young guys that don't know that much about about investing in finance and they're yeah they're suddenly seeing these margin calls and um you know facing some serious capital deterioration so yeah it's it's quite it's quite nerve-wracking but then on the flip side it is it is good to see that you know young people are at least aware of investing as a concept um because you know like if, if you look at where interest rates are now and like rising inflation expectations you know, it's so important for people to try and build wealth. And, um, and yeah, I think, I think that the more young people we can, you know, inform of that, of that problem, the better. Because I think, I think a lot of people, even some of my friends, they, they kind of think that saving money in a, in a current account, or sorry, a, a savings account is, is good. But, you know, if, you, if you're doing that over the long run and, you know, that essentially your, your real return on your capital is, is not meeting inflation. Like is yeah, it's negative. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't bode well for your, for your financial future. So, um, yeah, that's what I found. What I found actually is that, do you know, like your friends there, you know, do you, uh, as a question for you, is that, do you find that it's quite hard to take someone from being all the way this side where investing is not even on their mind at all? To being to taking them to, to being someone who would invest, I, I feel like it's a really long distance sometimes for people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th there's like there's a phrase, isn't there? It's like when when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I I, 
I think that, you know, ultimately there needs to be some kind of personal accountability or at one at one point it's like the penny drops and then they realize that they need to do something about it and I think people around my age or mid-20s are slowly starting to realize that when they're when they're saving money from their day job I think like when you're a student and kind of before that you, you don't really think about it because you're not actually accumulating any wealth but it's yeah it's sort of mid mid to late 20s but I mean that only gets you so far I feel like the value that I provide and you provide is that you you probably pester your friends every so often, you know, to, to try and make that one decision. You know, it's like set up a direct debit into into an account or like open up a lifetime ISA if you're looking to save for a house. And it's just it's kind of it's that incremental nudging that finally it finally results in their in, in, in a call to action for them to actually to do something about it. Because um, mm. I, I think if you're not naturally if you're not naturally inclined, you do need a helping hand at some point to get going. But, you know, as is anything, as is any skill, you, you kind of gain momentum and you sort of get used to that feeling of having money in the market and, you, and having money in the market and seeing it go up and down, it, it almost perpetuates your own interest. And that, that again, um, you know, quickens your learning. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's almost, like a, it's almost like a snowball, like it just gathers momentum, but you just, you just need that, that kind soul to get you off the ground, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, so, so yeah. Um, do you want to like talk a little bit about like how you got into financing in the first place and like your own kind of like investing journey? That would be that would be really sort of useful to know. Yeah, fine. So um, I've got uh, so I've got an economics background anyway. So that's the thing I would say. Even for me, so I obviously studied economics, started working. Even for me, in the early stages of working investing wasn't really high on my priority anyway i think even for me i was underestimating the the um like just the com- compounding really i was underestimating the value of getting in earlier um i even felt that i thought if i wait a bit longer um it won't really make a difference kind of oh, i'll have a bit more money to play with in a few years and at that point i'll start I think it's easy to underestimate the kind of value of starting with a little bit earlier. And so I didn't even, I didn't even do that myself. So really um, it probably came a little bit later for me. So at your age, I wasn't investing really at all. I'd done kind of property, but that was it. And it was kind of in the kind of couple of years after I started to do a little bit of investing. Um, But again, I had the benefit of, what I do for what I do for work, the fact that I've worked on like researching funds is what I spent kind of my kind of early twenties doing a lot more of. So I think it's quite hard for people to know where to put their money, really, because um, I think it's all well and good as saying, oh, you know, you need to you need to open an ISA, you need to contribute as much as your allowance as you can. And it's quite hard to, uh, for maybe someone just doing that to know where to put their money. Because I get asked that question all the time. It's like, where, where have you put your money? So I've done a variety of things where I've got some money I've had in funds. I've done the odd kind of stock pick where I've chosen something. But then it's quite hard. It's quite hard for me to say, oh, this is the right thing. Also, you, well, you can't just tell people you should invest in this, right? But I think it's quite hard for me to say, um, this is the right approach for you because it's quite different i think for everyone what they're comfortable with like what are they comfortable with in terms of um fees they pay um what type of things do they want to invest into do they care i mean a lot of the time the message you get is that oh, i just want to make money like, i want to make money so what return can i get from from that yeah and then what you don't what i um i think what i learned about my journey so yeah so i've got some money across some funds and I've got some some I do some more tactical stuff as well so um I've tried like in recent times like to play the um kind of cyclical trade with the likes of kind of Sydney world and stuff which hasn't worked at the moment but um so I have so but I've got so I've got funds and I've got some stocks as well that I've invested but 
over my portfolio. My portfolio is mainly equities. I've got, um, I've done my own property investing, but as in actual property. So um, kind of a bit of everything. I think that, uh, what was the point I was making before? Yeah, I think what the, I think what you don't appreciate when you start investing is the actual feeling of losing money and how you'd react in those situations. So I think that's what defines what you should maybe invest into, but it's hard to know until it happens. So for example, if I was to put like a thousand pounds into something and it was to fall 20%, how would I react? So I now know myself, but I think I'm, I think I'm all right in that I don't panic sell anything particularly. I think, um, but I think that just comes with knowledge of how markets work and having that kind of long-term view when you're investing. I think you'll have a lot of people that just don't have that same risk appetite and they're not willing to lose money in the short term. Yeah, I, th um, I, think, I think another uh, point to sort of add on to that is that due diligence is so important um, before you invest because with due diligence comes patience because if, if, you, if you research a fund or you research an individual stock and you, you get a high level of conviction in that, if the stock goes down by like 20%, you might actually think, you know what, it's okay. I still have faith in the, in the sort of intrinsic value uh, of, of the company. And I think, I think what can happen is, is people sort of um, try and get money into the market quickly and don't really think it through. And then when the market does crash, like we saw back in like Q1 2020 with COVID, people just panic sell. So yeah, that's a really good point to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, you're right though. Yeah, it's about, I guess, knowing what you're actually investing in. So for example, say, so I've put a tiny bit of money into cryptocurrency. Right, I don't know about you. I have, yeah. Um, you have, <laughs> right? So, I, so with that, you get a lot more panic, panic selling people do and things drop off because people know less about what it is than what they know about anything else. But at the same time, people do that, the same thing in other investments as well, where they don't quite understand it. I think it's very reasonable to not understand cryptocurrency because I don't think I do. I don't think anyone really does. But I think um, with other investments, more traditional investments, if you just spend some time reading about what it is you're investing in, um, say you're putting a thousand pounds to an index fund, do you know that you're you're getting access to like thousands of companies there? You basically, in effect, got like twenty p in a load, a load of different companies. So do you understand where your money actually is and the risk of it? Because I'll speak to people sometimes and I'll be like, they'll be like, they put some money into an index fund. So I'll say, all right, what, so what is it? And they'll be like, oh, it's the legal in general one. But, uh, but what, like, where's, what's it investing in? Mm. And they don't know, which is fine because I, I think it's fine to an extent because it's probably better to have your money in the market even if you don't necessarily know what it is to an extent. If you're not investing in silly things, but um, I think a bit of knowledge of just knowing what it is you're investing in, it just helps you build a portfolio. It helps you to know, all right, if I'm putting money in this company, what's a reasonable amount to put in? How many other companies am I kind of invested in? Um, and it just gives you an all idea of like position sizing and stuff because if without that knowledge, you could easily put half your money into cryptocurrencies. It's probably not a sensible thing to do because if you're not sure the difference of those in another investments, then um, yeah. So I think I, I do think that's probably another point around knowledge gives you the ability to size your positions the right way um, and to know what's what out of your investments is a bit more risky, what's a bit maybe less risky, and how you should position it otherwise because. I know people that have invested in recent times in all the kind of meme type stocks or just tech stocks that they don't know about and they've invested at the wrong time Yeah, and they're still feeling the effect of that. And then it's just a bit of knowledge I think is so helpful. I think that's what kind of hopefully the likes of your page, my page will help people just think a bit more before. Because I think these same people will be, they'll be kind of very careful around other elements of their personal finance, maybe what they spend on certain things or things like that. And I just think to 
invest your money with little knowledge of what you're doing is just a bit concerning really i think yeah definitely i mean um so some concept that i came across like a couple of years ago which i think is quite an interesting one is uh risk parity in the sense that like each part of the portfolio um has like the same absolute downside risk so like if if um like cryptocurrencies like five times as volatile as equities you'll have like five times as less crypto in and that was kind of like my thoughts in terms of my own my own sort of inv investing so like for me that the the large i'm only in equities and um crypto but i think going forward like the long-term trajectory for me is to have the the lion's share in in basically tracker funds which is hmm. which is kind of boring but but i, I i'm basically i've got a direct debit going into an MSCI world ETF, um, which is quite, quite low cost. Um, uh, and so I, I, I imagine that will ultimately be maybe like half the portfolio or something like that. And mm. then in terms of my crypto, that's probably at the moment, it's, it's actually quite, quite large, but it will get progressively smaller as, as I add more funds in it over time into, into more stable stuff. But I think at the moment in, in my crypto, it's um, about one, one or 2% of the portfolio um but uh it, it was yeah i i added i had i got into the crypto market through coinbase uh in january this year and um basically i bought some bitcoin because i was basically getting fomo <laughs> yeah uh, it sounds really bad from someone like me but my brother just kept talking to me about it because he bought bitcoin and make loads of money off it i was like okay i'll put like a couple of hundred in and then um and then I started doing some more research and I started looking into Ethereum and um, I kind of came to the conclusion that the, I know there's the whole, there's the whole question mark over the supply of Ethereum because it's not fixed. Um, whereas Bitcoin is, it's like 21 million in circulation. But I still thought that the, the potential applications for Ethereum is a lot greater than Bitcoin. Because um, essentially you might, from what I understand, Bitcoin is simply a, a, a currency to, to make a payment from A to B. whereas Ethereum, like Ether, basically can power decentralized applications, which could, could you know, could be a multitude of different things. So, I just thought that was more interesting. So I put my money in Ethereum, and um, but uh, there was a big drawdown, kind of middle of this year. Um, it basically went. I think there was probably like a fifty percent drawdown in my crypto account, but because mm -hmm. but because I didn't put that much money as a ten percentage of my of my my net worth, it was it was okay. I could sort of ride the ball in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. No, I think it's interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, so similar when I've looked into it, I do think that Ethereum, it comes down to the whole like ESG side and like um, Ethereum seems to tick that box in terms of Ethereum 2.0 is currently better for the environment given how coins are mined and all that stuff. And um, I do think ESG will play a role across asset classes more and more, which you've probably seen as well. Um, your MSCI world allocation maybe might become a an MSCI world ESG allocation or something at some point. But I don't know what importance. I don't know. It'd be good to know what importance you put on um, ESG factors at the minute. When yeah, you're... so I mean, I, I guess I guess it's conflicting because I mean at, at, at my job there's a big there's a big emphasis on ESG. Like pension funds are, uh, are looking to um, monitor like ESG characteristics of their portfolios, and so there's been a bit of a push generally to like allocate. Is say you're in like a like an MSCI world fund, you basically tilt into like an MSCI like fact factor tilt uh, index, which basically screens out sectors like controversial weapons and and um, tobacco and things like that. Uh, and I, I think I think that's I think that's good. I, I I don't have a problem with that. The only thing I think is that these products are more expensive than 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 the true passive counterparts. And what I think is that you know if these if these sinful stocks get um, get filtered out naturally, like wh why can't we just 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 keep just keep following the index? But again, I guess I guess that's not a particularly active view. Um, but then, but you know, 
saving saving like 15 20 bips on an annual management fees like you know it's worth having um and then and then there's the whole question mark of like benchmark constructions like how good is the manager at constructing the benchmark to screen out controversial weapons and, and tobacco um and like you know even things like recreational cannabis as well so i don't know i think the jury's out and also like going on on esg there's been so many capital inflows into these ESG funds. And I mean, I'm not like that close to the coalface in terms of like fund management stuff, but with all this new money, then their, their opportunity set must be reducing. There must be like less attractive options because, because the prices of all these companies uh, are probably going up. So I, I, I don't know, like, I've, no, I think, yeah. yeah, I think there's like a role for like more active type ESG funds. Cause you're right. But if you say if you screen, so a good example is like, say Shell or something. If you have like a certain passive ESG funds might just screen out Shell, the oil and gas company don't want to be involved, which is fine in, in a way. But then you may have an active ESG fund where the fund manager may actually engage with Shell and Shell are on a journey to try and become more renewable and to have more of their revenues come from renewable energy. So if you have a fund manager that invests in Shell and then engages with Shell and helps Shell to reach, to become a more clean company, is that adding more value as an investment than putting your money into something that's just avoiding Shell altogether? And that's to your point where, well, the simple st stocks all become good anyways. So why should you pay more? But obviously, if you go into the active world of ESG and positive impact, because there's some quite interesting funds out there now that are, investing in um you can get money like money into like council housing in your local area or you can get money into like certain charities that are doing different things um so one i came across is um big society capital they do some good work where they've actually got fun, an investment trust they've launched with schroden now but what they do things like um they'll help they'll work with charities that Basically, kids that run away from home. This is very niche, by the way. But what they do is kids that run away from home. They'll essentially take take them in, take care of them, and pay for their education, maybe their living or whatever like that. Help get them back on the right path, and then with the idea being that the government looking basically, if a kid runs away from home, and the government has to look after them. It costs them a lot more and the charity does it so the government will pay subsidies to charities like this which becomes your return on your investment essentially there's some quite nice stuff you can do where you can earn a return and do some good as well um yeah i mean that that sounds to me like it's kind of in like i mean i wouldn't say it's ethical investment but it's like it's like proper impact in the sense mm. that you're providing tangible social benefits because mm. i mean i i kind of feel like the world of esg and ethical investing get conflated in mm. the sense that if you, what, what I think is correct is that if you account for ESG characteristics, that actually can enhance financial returns. Whereas ethical investing, that's just, that's just using your morals to allocate capital, which might not actually result in superior returns. So are you saying yeah. that with regards to big society capital, do you, do, you, do you think that you could actually do super well on that versus say like a benchmark or, or or could it go the other way i guess i guess that's a really tough question for you yeah i think it's tough i think i would just say there's probably a role for it in a portfolio for someone that wants to it wouldn't be a big part of your portfolio because then you're eating into your terms but maybe it's an option for investors who want to feel like they're doing good because i think we're we're coming into a point now where i think people generally want to do more good and help the world etc so this is probably in a it's a bit alternative thinking in that it may be from a risk return perspective may not be optimal for a very young investor but maybe as you get a bit older and you want to incorporate something a bit different in your portfolio it starts to play a role in there um but again it depends on the product it depends on what sort of returns you can get if it's giving you like two three percent a year then i could understand it not feeling worthwhile for an investor that's focused on 
growth for the long term. But then, I don't know, yeah. I think there's just a role for different things think, in a portfolio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely been so much growth in these, in these sort of ESG funds. I, I think it's for the best. And, you know, people talk about greenwashing and stuff. And, like, there's definitely greenwashing kicking about. But I feel like, you know, there's just been a seismic shift in the way that investment processes are carried out and i think i think i think it's good that that there is there is at least some change and um yeah there will be there will be managers that you know don't have a particularly strong philosophy when it comes to esg but i think on aggregate, it's generally it's, it's generally than, good i think it's mm. generally good there is there are some issues like you said so there are some managers that are just put sustainable in their name but not change anything and mm. um, You've got some managers who, um, some fund managers who have been investing in a responsible way for a long time. ESG criteria have probably been a large part of their investment thesis for many years, but they've not marketed themselves that way. So they're not, they're not benefiting from this rush now to ESG. Whereas some other, like a lot of the passive funds, like your BlackRock, your Algens, and whoever else, they, They've been very good at getting huge range out there and marketing it. And, um, but I think if you speak to some asset managers, they'll be a bit confused as to how an, another asset manager can have two different ranges, one that is ESG and one that isn't. Because if you believe in ESG as a house, which they say they do, mm. should the other funds even exist? Is Ex- the exactly. And that, I guess that goes back to, to my point in terms of like, if if ESG is a is a factor that can enhance returns, yeah, surely all funds should should have an ESG tilt on them. Um, like I, I like a prime example of this is is like is Fundsmith. I'm not sure if you heard of Fundsmith. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually I actually read Terry Smith's book called Investing for Growth, which is actually very interesting. It's um it's basically an anthology of of like his like investment articles that he used to write. At the end of each year, but um, but anyway, Fundsmith have have Fundsmith Equity and then Fundsmith Sustainable Equity, and I looked at the top ten holdings for each, and it's basically exactly the same. But the only the only company I can remember that wasn't in the sustainable one was Facebook, which I thought was <laughs> quite was quite an interesting thing. So they obviously don't think Mark Zuckerberg is uh, is to be trusted, but. <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually in. Uh, in in funds with sustainable uh, equity it's done it's done okay it's it, terry smith as a manager has has very much a quality bias so he kind of looks for companies with like strong free cash flow and uh, sort of very well established um so like when there was like a massive growth sell-off like q1 q2 this year like that actually held it pretty well like meanwhile meanwhile my scottish mortgage investment trust got absolutely hammered um, but uh yeah yeah that's the thing and i guess again that's something else that um not to just plug through but we've written an article on growth style, like growth versus value and what the styles are but i think there's like a lot of understanding for people to make before they would grasp the concept of growth versus value but i think it's just important for people to understand what they're in because i think a lot of funsmith is one of those names where a lot of people will invest in it because he's a bit of a brand. Um, Terry Smith, like people get him, but again, do they actually know what's happening to the to their money when they invest? It's difficult, but yeah, I mean, I so like the more the more I sort of read about this stuff, the more I'm thinking that you should try to almost diversify across factors rather than geographies. So, like instead of having you know, like yeah, it, uh, developed markets, emerging markets, China. You could have like a like a, a quality component, a value component, like a growth component. Uh, I get, I guess, I guess that's quite a simple overview. But um, I think like a lot of people can invest in several funds and think, oh yeah, that's diversified. But actually, in terms of the overall styles of the fund managers, they're quite similar. So when when one of the one of the styles goes out of favour, their portfolio can t- can take a dive um so that was kind of one of the reasons why i held on to fundsmith because i think uh, the rest of my portfolio is like yeah very much growth orientated like i've got 
I've got, I've got beyond me a Cardo and Tesla. Like, uh, <laughs> I feel, I feel like that's just a little bit, a little bit rogue. Um, but as I say, like, uh, I'm, I'm being sensible in terms of the, the direct debits and just putting it into an MSCI, yeah, world uh, ETF. Um, and th- this is another thing that I'm quite like intrigued about is like the more I read about this stuff, the more I'm like passive is the only way. Um, which is which is crazy. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that, or if, if you have any kind of alternative views. Um, I so I think with passive, right? I think it's a it's probably a really good place to start when investors are starting out. And I think what you have now is because over the last ten years, everything's performed well over that period, um, given low interest rates, etc. Passive make has made a lot of sense because it's very hard for active managers to have outperformed in this environment. I just think as like a, I don't know, it's whether like I'm going back to like theory or CFA or whatever, I don't know. What, but I do think that you will, I think we could enter a period where active management shows its value again. Um, because I do think we're entering now a period where you're going to have a lot of companies that have maybe taken on a lot of debt and maybe some companies are then a kind of like when they're going to have to repay that debt and interest rates rise, et cetera, some will struggle. And I think there is value of having a really good asset manager. Um, like they're sort of looking after your money, ensuring you're avoiding the kind of the bad companies. And mm. there is an argument to that. If, you, if there's like a fund manager you really trust and you trust their process, et cetera, I think there is a place for them. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand. I understand the opposite view because passive has done its job, and you'll never go wrong with passive. Essentially, I feel like passive is like a really good place to start, and maybe it will always be fine for people. But I think for more maybe experienced investors who maybe want to take a bit more of a view, or want to invest in certain things, like you said, certain styles or um, things like that. I think then active maybe plays a bit more of a role. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think potentially like when the value of active management comes in, it's potentially for investors that are looking for yield. So like, I, I don't think, so for me personally, if I was to search for dividend yield, say like I was in retirement and I wanted an income, I wouldn't necessarily just like put it into like a, an MSCI like dividend index, you know, like where they target like the, the high yielding components because yeah. You know, as we know, like current dividend yields aren't set in stone and, and, and a lot of the subsequent dividend payments and, and coupons are like determined by like, yeah, like other financial factors and like, and like forward looking projections and things like that. So I feel like, yeah, active management to me certainly makes sense if you're searching for yield and also, and also like uh, minimizing like volatility as well. Like if you want to, if you want to like protect your downside risk, um, then it makes sense. And, and like, you know, for example, like Ruffer, who are like notoriously quite prudent and they like have, they always have like gold and stuff in their portfolios. And I think they held it, from what I remember, they held it fairly well during COVID. Um, so I, I guess that makes sense. But for, yeah. for going back to where we're at in terms of like young people who have got like a very long time horizon, I think that a passive approach make, makes a lot of sense. And, and like, I, I, you don't really need to carry any due diligence for you to invest in passive, really. I mean, I get, I guess you could like decide which ETF provider to go with, but yeah. it's just, it's kind of like a, it's a low IQ decision, and it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. take that much mental energy, which is important. Yeah. Um, no, that is a good point. I think there's, yeah, I would say that. I think it's way more. I mean, if you're going to be sitting thinking for years about which active manager to invest in. You may as well have been had your money in passive. It's more important being in the market. But um, yeah, no, so I yeah I agree with you on that. I think fees, obviously, you get better fees in passive. Um, it's really it can't be nice to pay active fees for a bad fund manager as well. And it's like as a as just a young person, how do you know which fund managers good or not or what they're doing? It's very hard to know. Um, and also just to jump in like even the investment platforms get it wrong 
in terms of their own research. Like, so I worked at HL, Hargreaves Lansdowne, and I left just before the whole mm-hmm. Neil Woodford debacle back in 2019 because he was basically rated on, on their Wealth 150 list as a, I think it was UK equity. That was his, that was his niche. Um, and um, essentially, I mean, you might know the story, but essentially he just put loads of, loads of his capital into like a liquid assets in like Jersey on offshore stuff. And um, because the performance was so bad, investors wanted out and then there were liquidity issues. And it was really bad because uh, the Woodford Equity Fund was part of the HL multi-manager funds. So they're like, it's a big headache. And I, I think the chief executive ended up writing a letter to uh, all the clients that had Woodford um, investments. Um, so, yeah, I, so again, so, you know, if, 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 um, if super intelligent, experienced guys can get it wrong, like what chance does your average Joe have that's the thing with so with um, Hargreaves. I mean, they've got so many fans, right? They're not going to look in enough detail to say they're not going to look down at granulate the holdings of of uh, Woodford and then be able to critique them. And I know uh, so the guy Woodford. I think he. Um, I think they. There was the way they did it where they didn't look like they were doing anything wrong. The way they were like, I think they were still listed, but the listings weren't like they were create listings were generated or something. So they looked like they weren't doing anything wrong. Um, so that is, yeah, a bit unique. I think, yeah, I mean, you want, yeah, you want to, you want to know that there's like some level of due diligence going on on the funds. But I mean, again, you're often, li- someone like Hargreaves is limited to the information they can get from the manager, I guess, as well. Um, so yeah, I guess passive takes away that thing as well from that consideration. Yeah, I mean, I think I think these investment platforms. I mean, they, they do have their fund research departments that that conduct sort of ongoing ongoing research with, with the managers. So I think they will have meetings. But again, you know, is you know, is it quarterly? Is it semi annually? Is it weekly? Yeah, who knows? And and yeah, even even after all that kind of uh, all that resource being allocated to to yeah to monitoring the managers, they can still get it wrong. But um, this is just just going on from that. This is something I've been thinking about in terms of my own portfolio and that is like if you're gonna buy individual stocks and even actively manage funds there's due diligence required to go into them but there's also due diligence as like an, on- an ongoing requirement for, for yourself and i'm just thinking well crikey i've i've bought these stocks i've held them for like two or three years and i haven't really looked at any of the annual statements like yeah. that's so to me that that's bad investing uh, but with again with passive ETFs and or index funds, you don't need to do that. And so, mm. and like you know, if you're willing to put the time in, then yeah, I guess active makes sense. But but for a lot of a lot of people, they probably don't have the the time nor the inclination to 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 do that. Um, I mean, how have you reacted to Beyond Meat flying around? It's share price. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's it's been so volatile. So I went in at about one hundred and thirty dollars. It went up to 180, and now I think it's at about 118. So I'm down 12 percent. I put in like a grand, so I'm down like yeah, 120 quid, uh, mm. which is which is fine. I'm I'm happy. I mean, this my my philosophy behind Beyond Meat was that I kind of believe that with climate change, there's going to be a a push for people to sort of be be more sort of vegetarian, um, mm. and 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 obviously like with with you know, widespread traditional agriculture, it's, you know, it's, it's very taxing in terms of like CO2 emissions and water and, and social, sort of social issues there. So I kind of thought Beyond Meat would be an interesting play on that. But mm-hmm. um, I've, been, I've been reading The Intelligent Investor by Ben Gray. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. And oh, really? uh, he basically, basically, it's so funny, he basically rips to shreds my philosophy because he's basically like, just because you invest in like a high growth industry, so for, so for example, like, like internet stocks in like the 90s or like uh, air, airlines in the 1950s. Yeah, just because you do that doesn't mean, uh, like it might be good for the industry as a whole, but it might not be good for shareholders. So mm. then I'm just thinking, well, okay, that completely undermines my, my <laughs> philosophy. Um, I mean, I'm still going to hold, but. <laughs> and it's like crypto as well. It's like the crypto industry is clearly going in a direction 
but I mean, who's to say Bitcoin's still going to be one that people use in like 10 years time? You don't know. It's like, I think that, so that's similar to the inter, uh, like the dot-com bubble and internet boom where you had, who is it then? I think it was, was it AOL who, basically there's loads of companies, so AOL, one of them, they were kind of branding themselves as the internet sort of thing. And like AOL, I think they just had the, like one of the first browsers. But people thought they were buying the internet when they bought AOL browser. You know what I mean? I yeah. think a lot of companies they had, they put .com in their name. Yeah. Even if they weren't, just to make them sound. And loads of them, I think it's similar to crypto and it's similar to maybe some tech stocks at the minute. A lot of them doing really well, did really well. And then when you came out the other side of it and most of them plummeted to like near zero valuations, there were some left and they were like your Amazons, your Microsofts and stuff. Some of them left and they, mm. they would have been amazing investments if you made them before. But yeah, um, I think similar thing may happen in crypto world where regulation comes and then a lot of them can't survive because they've not actually done anything that they've promised and people start selling them and then some of them survive uh and then they're the ones but you don't know which ones they're going to be right i guess you can hazard a guess at bitcoin and ethereum and those um yeah yeah uh, this this is the thing it's like I mean, it, was, it goes back to that quote by i think it's uh john or jack bogle who's the founder of vanguard it's like don't try and find the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. <laughs> and uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, just getting back to the dot-com bubble. Um, yeah, like even Amazon, which, yeah, has obviously crushed it. I think that still had a 90 to 95% drawdown in, during the dot-com bubble. So, so, yes, you would have absolutely smashed it if you bought Amazon shares. But you'd have to, have, you'd have to experience serious market volatility. and even for an investor who carried out due diligence, seeing a 95% drawdown would be pretty hard to bear. Um, <laughs> and like, and also the, you know, that was it Microsoft versus MicroStrategy. you know, Microsoft has, yeah, smashed it. MicroStrategy, I think that might have like gone bust or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just, so it's like now you've got companies that are IPOing, that are making a loss and it's like this stuff isn't sustainable really and like because they've all all their valuations are built on like huge growth projections which may sometimes be the case and you get the next amazon or microsoft or whatever but then there'll be a lot of instances where they just don't meet their expectations and then like how much does the share price plummet from there um it's like even like even tesla like they're clearly here to stay amazing product um my brother's got one. It's really nice. I was sitting in it thinking, yeah, I can understand why you'd invest in the stock. But I mean, it's, it's very expensive. And it's like, when all the other car companies release their versions, they're cheaper. What does happen to Tesla? Uh, to what extent does it take over the world? Because that's what people are pricing into its valuation at the moment. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tesla's a really interesting one because, it, yes, it is a it is an electric car manufacturer, but it also has, you know, a lot of operations in basically like uh, renewable electricity generation, transportation and storage. And uh, I think I read, I read one of its like interim reports and it was saying how ultimately it wants to have at least half its revenues from renewable energy rather than, rather than the, the automobile side. So, and again, that ties in with my philosophy as to, you know, like all these, all these countries are pledging to become net zero by 2050. There's going to have to be like a, a big investment, like I think trillions of dollars of investment to, to make that transition to a net zero economy. And if, te if Tesla can retain its market power, it could do really well. But who, who knows? Uh, you know, it's so hard to say whether, whether, yeah. the, whether the share price is, is reflected. But I don't know. I just like the story. So I'm just going to, I'm going <laughs> to. But again, that's not a that's not a particularly um, yeah good, good answer. Really. And that's the thing. Now that you now that you believe in it, you're more likely to hold it, even when if there is rough times in its share price. That's the value, I guess, of just understanding what you invest in and or having a strong opinion about what you invest in. I guess. Yeah, but 
but then also also like being humble and accepting you're wrong. I think I think self awareness as an investor is so important. And um, you know, there's there's I think there's been studies that show that that medical professionals, so doctors, they are actually terrible investors because they have really they ha- they tend to be very clever, high IQ, uh, and therefore high they tend to be confident, but they don't have the time to actually like make these decisions because um, they because obviously living busy lives you know working um so yeah it's yeah again it just goes back to, to doing your own research and, and really taking the time um, and i think in their jobs as well from what i've seen that they they are very much focused on the risks of things um and it's obviously to do with health but they're very much focused on the worst case i think when you focus on the worst case all the time and then you try to think about putting your money into things that are risky or perceived to be risky. I think I've just found a lot of medics just don't invest because they're just, just because of what they're perceiving the risks of doing it instead of the risks of not doing it, I guess. So, so do you feel like medics tend to have like this, this, they're, they're okay in evaluating the risk to health, but they're really bad at evaluating financial risks. I think so. I think a part of it is that I think part of it, like I said, yeah, they're, they're looking at the risks side of it perhaps more. So it's like, and I'm probably speaking of like, uh, probably around like 10 that I know well. And I'd say that they were quite similar in that respect that um, is very much goes towards the prop, like what's safe, property safe, investing in like bonds, they feel safer. Why is property safe? Can I just jump in there? Like what, what's safe about property investment? So like, I think genuinely the thinking behind it. So this, by the way, I'm saying this is the thing they're thinking. Okay. Is cool. that it's, it's like a physical thing. Yeah. I think is the thing that gets people. I mean, what people don't understand is you obviously take on more leverage in property investing than you can in really anything else. But, um, no, I think that just feeling of safe, like it's a real thing that you can see and you can live in. Um, I don't think that's limited to doctors, by the way. I do think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and that's because that's, that's what you've grown up with. In terms of an investment that you've had exposure to as a youngster that you've seen, it's your house or it's the, the houses your parents have bought. Like that. So I think people more naturally get there. And the fact that everyone needs a house to live in I think that becomes like the obvious investment. Um, and I feel like a lot of people see themselves as experts in property investing, but a lot less in terms of other investments. So um, I think it's just perception yeah. thing. I think, I think property could actually be a really good option for a lot of individuals because it, it's, it's an liquid asset. So it's not getting priced all the time. And uh, I think, I think a, a, a sort of horrible thing about the stock market that people need to get their head, heads around is, is that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be days where the stock market goes down loads and you're going to see that. You're going to see your mark-to-market losses on that day. And, and that, is going to, that might cause you stress. Whereas with, with property, that doesn't really happen. And so mm-hmm. it might be easier from like a psychological perspective to actually like be okay with it, especially if you're actually getting some intrinsic value out of the property as you're living in it or like a family home, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and this is another thing, you know, just like living in the 21st century where like there's just an unbelievable amount of data at your fingertips. Now, back in the day, you'd get your, you know, quarterly stock valuations in the post, you know, so you wouldn't be subject to, to that kind of noise. Um, Whereas now, you know, you, yeah, you can, that was second by second, really. Um, and my parents but, still do. They've got some investments in like equity funds. I can't remember who they did it with. And they get like a quarterly statement. So I think it was like in, um, was it like August or something? They received their end of June statement last year. And it was like, everything's gone down. They're like, what's going on? But by the time they received it, it all pretty much gone back up again anyway, but they just react quarterly. It's probably better for them. Um, yeah, no, I see what you mean. I, I do think that's it. I think, but that's again, if you understand to an extent what you're investing in, you're less inclined to check it every day because the daily movements don't mean anything. 
I even find in like crypto, I pay a lot more attention to daily movements because I feel like it means something or like, because I don't, because you don't understand it as much. You feel like there's information to take from it. Whereas if you're investing in just like the stock market and markets fall off for 2%, two doesn't change your view of equities. It's like, it still makes yeah. sense as a long-term investment. <laughs> to, um, yeah, to be fair, uh, so I, I have the Coinbase app on my phone and um, they basically post notifications oh God, uh, <laughs> linked with market volatility. I, I, I actually put them on mute. I've disabled <laughs> the notifications because, I mean, well, first of all, it's annoying because I don't want to pick up my phone if I don't need to. And uh, secondly, I just think it's actually slightly unethical because basically these, the, the, the Coinbase I'd imagine makes a large portion of its revenues through trading. And if they're pushing notifications, say, oh, Ethereum's at 8%, Bitcoin's down 7%, you, that, that, that might result in, in, in more trading for a given day. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm just, trying, I'm just yeah. trying to dial out the noise. And, and uh, if, you know, if, crypt, if blockchain and, and crypto take hold, then hopefully I'll benefit. But uh, I think for the time being, yeah, I'll just, I'll just sit, on, sit on my Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, and I think maybe, again, this is like somewhere where active funds play a role is like, I think there are funds now, I don't actually know too much about them. There are funds where they're focusing on industries and companies that are looking to take advantage of blockchain. So outside of like, um, outside of crypto, you may get exposure to companies that are using of like smart contracts or it's like they're using the technology itself. Because um, cryptocurrency is like one, it's one implementation of the technology but i guess the technology may have many more uses and i just find all of it great i mean there's, it needs some regulation i think because there's like what eleven thousand coins or something now um and people are putting money into these because i think you get a new coin that comes out which is like there's like shiba or there's like other dog named coins so and people <laughs> think they'll be the next thing that like races up People are risking their own money in these, like, in some of the, at least some of the coins have, like, a, a mission or, like, something they believe they can achieve. Whereas you've got other coins that are literally just there for a laugh, but people are still throwing money in. I feel like it's all just a bit crazy. It needs some kind of regulation to, like, because in, in stock markets, at least when companies are IPOing to become listed, at least they've gone through a journey of, They've established themselves, generating revenue. They've reached a valuation, which valuations are a bit crazy at the minute. But at least these companies have, have gone through a journey of some sort in generating revenue before being exposed to investors to be able to invest in them. Whereas crypto, I don't quite understand the journey from where they go to to be listed on Coinbase or one of the other exchanges. But it seems like not much. And they, they basically come on at like an almost zero valuation. It's always just a bit strange how it all works. Um, yeah. So I just think it needs regulation because I think some people, some people are making a lot of money with a bit of luck, and some people are losing their money as well. Um, so it needs some regulation, I think. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of sort of cult-like leaders that sort of pump and dump these things yeah. as well, and. Um, and then also there are these like Instagram pages that kind of like glorify investing and, and losing money in these, in these shit coins. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, Instagram as a, as a platform is, is awesome. No question about it, but there's, it's the wild West in terms of kind of when it comes to sort of finance and making decisions and, you know, it's a platform for, for people to like push their own agendas. Um, That's the thing. Like, our, so our pages, I've looked at yours as well, they're very like honest, I think. Mm. But I think if you, I don't think that's necessarily what gets you like loads of traction as a page on Instagram. You would need the memes, which is kind of like, like show someone who's like living in a shit house, someone who's living in a mansion, it's like he invested in Bitcoin. It's like, or something like stuff like that seems to get like, it gets traction but it's very misleading um and you've got all these like 
these like forex like pyramid schemes and stuff as well. Oh, anyway, don't get don't hard, get me started on those. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to like it's hard for people to know what's real and what's not if you don't have the knowledge. So um yeah, it's pretty dangerous for people actually, I think. It's yeah, it's really dangerous. So like what what's your what's your kind of goal in terms of your Instagram channel and things? So you mentioned before it was kind of promoting uh sort of financial literacy and things like what what yeah like what what does it all mean to you really if you were to kind of sum that sum that up yeah fine so i think um i just want to get people more educated in terms of i think there's a lot of things out there there's things like you've probably seen like finimize and other tools where if you're already investing you know about it there's a lot of things out there you can go and get more information and stuff like that I think what I want Shrewd to become, but I think it's like maybe the hardest thing to do is to take people from not investing at all to a point where they're comfortable to start investing. And that's what I want the Instagram page to be. That's what I want the app to be. And then eventually I want the app to be somewhere you can invest as well in a responsible way. Um, so I don't think people need to take these punts on the, on the risky stuff, on like the meme stocks or on anything else i think you can invest more sensibly i think that there's a lot of places out there you can invest but i don't think they're necessarily in encouraging a sensible means of investment I, I think there's a lot of people out there who i think if you can afford to get an advisor and you want to get an advisor to help you it's probably a good route to take but i think when you're younger i don't think that's there for you so i think you want to become as informed as you can in a quick and easy way and i think our pages and my app, I think, helps. And then, hope, and then hopefully we can, we can all be more shrewd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and, uh, and so in terms of like anyone that's listening who wants to like get in contact with you, like obviously there's the Instagram page, but would there be an email address that, that they can get in contact with you or like any other? Any other? Yeah, so my name's Josh, or it's Joshan. It's got a UN at the end. Um, and it's joshan at shrewd.uk is my email address. Um, the Be More Shrewd page is a really good place to do it. Just you can message me on there as well if you want. And uh, shrewd.uk is the website you can contact me through there as well. So. Great stuff. Well, uh, I uh, I wish you the best of luck with your app development. Um, I hope that goes well. And uh, and yeah, um, keep bashing up the content on Instagram. And uh, yeah, let's uh, hopefully you'll be able to get gain some traction. Cheers. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, awesome. Great, great to talk, Josh. Take care, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.